Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, an alternate history in which global communism might not take hold. An all-new epic fantasy from the author of the Cain Riordan series and a wagon train to the stars, all right now. Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you along. I'm Bain Associate Editor David Afsharirad, sitting in for your usual host, Tony Daniel. Today we bring you part two of my conversation with Tony, Christopher Rocchio, David Weber, Wynne Spencer, and Lou Berger about the new anthology, World Breakers, which is a collection of military science fiction stories about sentient tanks, plus part three of the audio dramatization of Eric Flint's Islands, adapted by Tony Daniel. But first, the news. The latest batch of EARCs are hot out of the oven. Now, you're all familiar with the standard buttermilk biscuits. Well, EARCs are not dissimilar, though they hail from a very small area of northeastern Alabama. The recipe for these southern delicacies is a closely guarded secret, but here at Bain, hang on, no, no, God, I seem to be confused again. EARCs are electronic advanced readers copy or electronic advanced review copies. These are uncorrected page proofs that publishers send to reviewers, uh, and we at Bain make them available to the public uh, for sale. And this month, we've got some good ones. First up, we have The Romanoff Rescue by Tom Kratman, Justin Watson, and Casey Azell. Mankind's history is bound up in the fabric of fate, a strong cloth, tough and closely woven. Consider 1918, the last year of the greatest war in human history to date. As the belligerent stagger, Russia descends into civil war and chaos. It is there that a once mighty family await their fate. But even the strongest fabric has flaws. An escaped prisoner of war, injured but still highly capable, is one. An airship at loose ends after a failed mission might be another. A German general suddenly coming face to face with the reality of the monster rising in the east could be a third. And if all these loose threads are somehow yanked out together, the effect just might be enough to tear the fabric of time and to rescue a desperate family. A family that happens to contain the last heirs of the czars of old Russia, and perhaps the Russia that is to come. Next up is This Broken World by Charles E. Gannon. Since boyhood, Druid and expected he command an elite legion and become the leader his father predicted he would be. Fate had other plans. Assigned to a small group of outriders tasked with watching nearby kingdoms, Druidan discovers that the larger world is riddled with impossibilities. How do humanoid raiders, known as the Bent, suffer staggering losses, yet return as a vast horde every decade? How do multi-ton dragons fly? How have fossils formed in a world which sacrists insist has existed for only 10 millennia? To solve these mysteries, Druidan journeys into the dank warrens of the Bent, 
seeks out a dragon's lair, and ventures into long-buried ruins in search of ancient scrolls. Verduidin's most lethal enemies might lurk in even more unusual places, the temples and council chambers of his homeland. And finally, Gunfight on Europa Station, edited by David Boop. Take the wagon train to space. The final frontier ain't so final in these 12 tales of space exploration and adventure. There's a story for everyone who's ever dreamed of taking that star dusty trail to the farthest stars, or of facing down a belligerent alien at high noon in a frontier settlement under the light of a strange sun. Get ready to hit the hyperthrusters as you set course for adventure, mystery, romance, and two laser gun slinging action. Yarns by Elizabeth Moon, Alan Dean Foster, Jane Lingscold, Will McCarthy, Martin Shoemaker, Alex Schwartzman, and more. And that's it for the news. Now for part two of our discussion of the new anthology, World Breakers. Um, so Christopher, what uh, was it like? Well, I talked to Tony a little bit about editing this uh, before you jumped on. Um, did you want to add anything about how, um, you know? Well, so I don't know exactly what Tony said. And if I repeat anything, I apologize. He said that you didn't do anything. And yeah, that's, that, uh, that's right. It was a shame that your name was on the cover. <laughs> He's uh, oh, all true, of course. No, go ahead. He did not uh, say that. Travesty. But anyway. <laughs> No, well, uh, no. So most of what I do, right, is is I was given a list in this case from from the two Tonys, you know, people who won in the book. So I was running uh, running the paperwork, right? I got the I got contracts settled, got people to say yes or no. I don't think anybody said no this time. Uh, every now and then it happens, but uh, so we got you know this great list of authors together, right? And um, and that was mostly what I did was just sort of the, the, you know, keeping track of everything, getting the manuscript together at the end, right. Cleaning everything up. Cause all the authors have different ideas about how manuscripts should be formatted. Right. And I got to go and standardize that. So our poor uh, typesetter doesn't cry. Uh, you know, so I'll do, I'll do that sort of thing, but, uh, but no, you know, I think it was, uh, I think it's a really fun book. I'm really happy with how it came out. And like you said, we've got, we've got a lot of stories that played the sort of, uh, you know, uh, noble tank AI warrior thing straight. We had some people who messed with it, myself included. Um, we had a couple, uh, you know, that were really uh, out, of, out of left field, talked about one story, but Mona Lisa Foster did a story that was about a mash unit that had gone wrong. Um, you know, the AI had gone wrong. And that one would sort of stretch the stretch the concept a little bit further too. So uh, it's a nice, it's a nice collection. You've got these, uh, you know, the more straightforward action adventure stories. Uh, you've got some that verge on science fantasy. You've got some stuff that's just, you know, really, really out there. And I think anybody who likes military sci-fi will find two or three or maybe even five stories they really, really like and some other ones that are, you know, maybe, uh, you know, not that they won't like, but that are sort of new flavors, right? That are a little bit of a stretch on what they were expecting. So I think it's a really well-balanced collection. I'm really, really proud of how this one came out. We have Rob Hampson, Larry Korea story, um, tank named Bob by Larry. Um, we have the wonderful Kevin Eikenberry story, which is straight up Bolos-ish, <laughs> called Red One. Um, Casey's did a great um, tank as is perceived as a dragon by uh, a, in a far future post-apocalyptic medieval world. 
um, which was very cool. Daughter of the Mountains. Hank Davis did a funny one. Um, Keith Hedger did one about um, a tender relationship on a battlefield gone a little uh, to left field, as it were. Um, where not everyone realizes what the other one is in the uh, in the in the right the girl at the end of the uh, text message might be a uh, heavily armed uh, bit of artillery so, yeah. <laughs> uh, Patrick Childs did a cool philosophical sort of thing with the guy arguing with the tank about the the about what war is about um we got Luz, davis chris yeah so we have a wonderful uh wonderful spray shotgun yeah. spray of uh, stories in here let's talk about um well i don't know yours i guess tony well since you're talking yours um, i as i always say on these i'm recording this in in a soundproof bunker deep somewhere deep in the heart of texas uh, so i don't want to get more specific than that but yours takes place uh in a neck of the woods that i know and it is not exact, again, we're talking about pushing the, the, the conceit of this AI super tank thing. Uh, you took it a very interesting direction. Uh, well, when, I mean, whenever I think about tanks, um, I think about what people call tanks. Um, also, strangely, they're called fishing ponds in Texas tanks, which is odd. It but is. That's not what we do. That's not what I'm <laughs> Um, actually two stories in set in Texas and the anthology the Keith Hedger one is set in uh, up in the Panhandle in Amarillo area where there's in mine there's an alien invasion um, it's it's uh, these uh, it doesn't we don't really get into it too much uh, what it is but it's 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 colonial spider like organisms they're not sentient but they have uh, they act sentient um, and they have algorithms that are able that they've ad adapted and, and stolen that are able to um, able to take out command and control people. So the government and the military has been taken out, and it's down to first responders and a bunch of rednecks to uh, fight the alien invasion off. Um, and in this case, uh, and this is part of a larger world that um, I, I was working on with some folks um, for a for a podcast pitch in Hollywood, actually. That didn't go anywhere and i'm like i did all this work i'm going to use this <laughs> so um uh it, it was vj by the way um oh yeah yeah you know yeah, yeah sure vj boyd the uh, he, he's a staff writer on swat now but he was anyway uh so <laughs> i got permission from them to use the world and and um what it is is um is this fellow out in east texas who was basically he's kind of a ne'er-do-well um he he's started making a, a good living doing CBD oils and essential soaps and things like that and selling them at his granddaddy's store. Um, and uh, maybe a little bit of selling of other hemp products on the side um, went into this. But he's one of the guys who once the aliens invaded, he um, the, the Maven algorithm as it were, didn't take him out. And so he is, um, he's out there fighting these aliens and they appear uh, there's all kind of different there's quantum phenomena that they use as weapons um and they appear in all kind of different ways and he's learned how to fight them and one of the the things that that lets him get around is this giant gmc truck um a gmc sierra and so i've always thought you know that those things are tanks and, and why can't we just make that be my tank and so um that's what it is um 
it's a uh, Jim Chase. I'll I'll read you the description that I, uh, and I was helped actually by Tony Weisskopf's uh, boyfriend Rusty, who knows these things. Um, with his not drug profits, not drug profits, he'd install the full package on the Sierra, Rancho shocks, locking rear differential, underbody skid plates, heavy duty air filter, dual exhaust system, and a custom two speed transfer case with a granny gear. He put in an eight inch aftermarket lift package and for tires, 38 inch Baja claws. So um, if that's not a tank, I don't know what is. <laughs> and, um, so uh, aliens plop this, this skyscraper-like thing down. It's actually turned on its side, sort of skyscraper. It looks like an enormous, ugly cornucopia. And it starts putting out a sort of mental um, call. It's not, it's not psychic or anything. It has to do with quantum phenomena that some people are susceptible to. And they are drawn to this thing. And they go in and they don't come out. The aliens are after something from humans. Um, and uh, so... And, and they're attacking out in the countryside with various quantum weapons and they're appearing as sort of horde beings. Um, and they look a lot like guys in ghillie suits and camouflage, that, you know, from afar. Um, and it, it, it's just a scary, scary uh, world that he's in. And he's um, driving around in this tank and the aliens have tried to infiltrate with a cuckoo-like being um, to that that appears to be like a girl that is that is also so, sort of a horde thing and he starts fighting her um, he defeats her and she but she escapes into this truck and so he's driving around the sentient uh a truck that's animated by one of the alien uh by, by one of the aliens and um it uh she hates these things that made her she wants to get back at him worse than he does and so we have a a really badass truck that is is tank like and it gets equipped with a giant vape by the end of the thing um because we're in east texas <laughs> that is actually a, a sort of weapon that can fight the aliens finally and and that is uh the first third of the story and the rest of it's like how is he going to stop these things and how are they together going to um so that's so, my so weird ass allegory so as an editor you thought it's up to me to play this as straight and traditional as possible. Exactly. To set the I could tell. I could tell. <laughs> well, it's not, I mean, it's not a humorous story at all. Um, and she, uh, I, I wanted my um, alien female characters uh, to be very, um, to be Bolo, I mean, uh, uh, noble yeah, I, in her way. And yeah. she's, she's very straight in her, her morality, although it is a, entirely alien morality she is like a ferret that wants to kill um kill rats and she thinks that her former masters are rats and she's after them so in some ways um, our main character has to hold her back a little bit so so that's that story harvester man um and then we end the whole dang thing with this amazing um uh sort of uh Celtic, uh, I don't know what the hell this thing is, but it's a wonderful <laughs> conclusion um, set in some far future. Um, which I, is David. By David Weber, yes. And yeah. it's got a title I'm not going to try to say. So yes. this is Welsh. Is it not Welsh? I don't know. It's Welsh. It's yes. Welsh. <laughs> um, and um, Welsh is, if I remember my Mark Twain correctly, 
He said, uh, Welsh is the only language in which a last name can be spelled J-C-C-Y-W and spell and pronounced Smith. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so I, um, I use dragon naturally speaking when I write. So I have to figure out how to pronounce things. Um, and I have learned that if I tell it Welsh, here I stand, it will spell it correctly every time because that is what the title of the story means in Welsh. And if Wynne was left field and Chris was right field, I was kind of center field. Um, this is, uh, it's not a Bolo story, but Keith Lawmer would have recognized the, the, the Bolo, the tank in this, in this story. Except I think I made it even bigger. <laughs> you know? um, but in an odd sort of way, I blow up a lot of stuff. Okay, Tony, both Tonys, we're happy about that. Okay. <laughs> it's taking on the entire militia of a plan, the military of an entire planet. Well, I, no, it's actually, it's taking on uh, an entire armored core that's invading the planet. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, um, essentially, the, the here I stand is the motto of the Imperial House that, that he serves. And he actually is the oldest uh, of the the members of um, the the they they call themselves the Round Table Ivan Frit, um, and they are uh, self aware uh, fighting vehicles who are the. Mm, I don't want to call them the Praetorian Guard of the Empire because that implies that they make and break emperors. They are the Imperial Guard, is is what they are. Um, and there are, by an odd turn of fate, there are twelve of them. And for reasons that make perfectly good sense within the story, the Empress can only bring one of them online when she, when she and her house are threatened with the most serious uh, coup attempt in the history of the empire. It's been launched by one of her cousins uh, who was in fact an imperial governor and who has convinced the personnel of the, the armored uh, corps assigned to his sector that they are rescuing the empress or attempting to when in fact his plans call for her to be murdered along with her children before they can quote rescue her. And they've managed to get to the programming of Ifan Gran so that the, the exterior, the, 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 the command response challenge program does not recognize her as a valid commander. It doesn't know who she is, but she is able to thanks to little backdoor designed into the software and a few other things, she can physically access the command deck of one unit. And once she's there, as long as she's on the command deck, she can bring the unit online and it won't turn on her. So she says her, her husband and her younger brother are killed in the very first minutes of the coup attempt. Uh, she sends her two young children uh, the oldest of them, oldest of them is I think seven, uh, off with her her personal 
human guard detachment. They all want to stay with her. And she's like, no, this is, I got to do something else. And this is more important than anything you could do for me. And then she brings uh, Arthur. All of them are named for members of the round table. Um, and she brings Arthur online and she and Arthur go out alone to face this hugely overwhelming force. And Arthur, Arthur wants her to leave him. He's like, you know, I got this. And she's like, I can't, she says, you know, number one, I can't be sure if I leave the command deck that you're, that you'll be able to stay online. And she says, and secondly, you know, you guys have never abandoned my house and I'm not going to abandon you. And so the two of them stand uh, and fight basically in Arthur's case, actually beyond the end uh, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and it does partake of the the kind of human bolo compact of the of the Lawmer novels, it, it really does. But I think it goes farther because in this instance, this tank has a long-standing personal relationship with the entire dynasty. And uh, as they are heading in, the the uh, Kiera was the original empress who who forged this empire and probably saved human civilization and the galaxy in the course of putting it together. That's how destructive the wars that were going on were. And she managed ultimately to put an end to them in the creation of this empire. Um, and her motto was, here I stand, um, which became the motto of the house and it became the motto of the Imperial Guard. And at the end, uh, when when Arthur knows that the final attack is coming in, he's computed that their odds of surviving it are like maybe 15%. And uh, uh, Kiera says, you know, it's 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 been an honor, kind of not uh, the I'm sorry, the the current empress uh, Morena Morena uh, says it's been an honor, and he says. In all the years that I have served the empire, I have never fought with an equal of Kiera the first. Today I have. Okay, and then the final attack comes in. Um, and um, I'm not going to tell you how it ends. Uh, I mean, you know, I did tell you that it's in the traditional bolo format in a lot of ways. So, you know, you might want to get your hankies ready, you know, kind of thing. Um, Kisa, one thing that you might talk about is um, that you, you created a great sort of Weberian uh, uh, nemesis in uh, Probert, who is, yep. who's, who's uh, you know, like a lot of your villains, he's got a lot of you know, he doesn't see himself as a villain. No, he doesn't. He, he doesn't. Well, yeah, he's he is, and he's complex. Yeah, he is. His his position is, you know, what for like four hundred years, this this dynasty has has had had the crown, 
and it's not like Kiera was the only person who who fought to establish this. And yeah, sure, they've done well by the empire. They've been good rulers, but it's time to spread the love around is basically the way that he sees it. Um, he has what I think is one of the two flaws that most of my classic Weberonian villains have. Um, one is a lack of empathy. Everybody around him is a means to an end. Um, and that's how he categorizes. You're either useful or not useful to him. But the other one is that he is... He, he is able to ignore his responsibilities. He's able to say the mere fact that I've sworn all these oaths and that I've you know done all this stuff means nothing compared to the fact that it's time somebody else was emperor. Okay. Within those two damaged aspects of his personality, he's he's brave okay he's smart uh he can inspire the people under him even if he sees them primarily as means to an end and he probably would have made a pretty decent emperor if he'd gotten the throne not for the same reasons that uh, that uh, Moina was a great empress but you're right he i almost almost regretted what happened to him, but it was so appropriate <laughs> that I, I couldn't, I couldn't change my mind. He had to, he had to, it had to end the way that it ended. Um, now I was saying earlier, um, before we started recording, I think that I was hospitalized for 10 days with COVID when this story was only about two thirds finished. And I kept trying to finish it. Weeks were getting by and I would write like you know, 5,000 words and they were dreck and I'd throw them away, you know, and whatnot. Um, and finally, my, my wife, who sometimes has less patience with me than perhaps I might wish, you know, she said, you know what, you've been complaining about the fact that you can't finish this story for like weeks now. Why don't you just go ahead and finish it and send it to Tony, okay? Let him tell you if it needs to be fixed. And I sent it in and Tony said, wow, this is really good. Of course, now today when we were talking about it, what he told me was, yeah, well, we had to wrap the book up, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, no, no. So I, I, I know the truth now. But the, the hardest part for me to come up with was the proper end cap for it. Okay. And well, I, I think, think I think this thing just has a, a you know a legendary uh, ending that yeah. uh, that makes the story uh, resonate. And it was it was it was supposed to. Um, and I it think, resonates with with the the Welsh mythology you're drawing on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also I have to say that I think one of the reasons that people read the kind of stories that that I like to write is the same reason that I like to write them. 
Okay, there really are people out there who are as good as anybody I put into one of my stories in terms of meeting their responsibilities and everything else. And we don't hear about them too much these days. Everybody is too busy screaming about the idiots on the other side of whatever divide they're on or whatever. And we sell the heights that human beings can, can aspire to. We sell them short in our, in our day-to-day life over and over and over again. I assure you that the characters that I put into my novels and into my stories reflect the quality of human beings who I've known in my own life. And I think that people want to be reminded of what we can do and become and aspire to. And I think that was part of the magic of the Lawmer stories because of the, the standard that the tanks were setting, that the humans involved with them had to rise to that level to be worthy of the tanks. And in my story for this anthology, that cuts both ways. Um, the, um, the, the, the humans have to rise to the level of, of the tank, but the, the tank finds itself having to rise to the level of the humans. Um, and I think ultimately, it, I, ultimately, I think I agree with you, Tony, that it, that it worked. Um, I was less confident of that when I wrote it, but that was because of the shape I was in after the, after the COVID, um, which let me tell you was not fun. Um, but anyway, um, I think I'm rambling a little bit. It felt like maybe what was going on was that you saw how it had to end and you really didn't want that to have to happen. <laughs> that was that was part of it. I knew from the beginning how it was going to end. Uh, so, and I liked the characters so much I didn't want to go there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I kept trying to find... It's kind of like the, the Honor Harrington novel that I killed Andrew LaFollette in. I rewrote that scene like five times trying to not kill Andrew. And I realized only after I'd handed the book in why he had to die. And the reason he had to die was that Honor loses 90% of her family on Sphinx and you never met them. But you know exactly how much Andrew meant to her. So in losing Andrew, you get that window into how devastated she is by what happened to her homeworld. Um, and that was sort of what happened at the end of this story. Okay. I, I tried, <laughs> you know, I tried, you know, um, but it's well, kind a wonderful of, poetic ending. Let's just leave it at that. But. I think so. I, think, <laughs> I, 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 you know, there are, there are comeuppances and there are comeuppances. <laughs> you know? I, I think it worked. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's the closing story of the anthology. So that speaks to, to it um i think that what's well, we're about at the time we shoot for for these things uh so tony's got the book i don't have the physical copy here um but it is called world breakers and it's out now in trade paperback or of course you can get it in ebook format drm free from bain ebooks um i just thank everybody david weber win spencer uh tony daniel 
Christopher Rocchio and uh, Lou Berger. He uh, had a, a another Zoom commitment, I think, uh, so he had to bounce off a little early, but we're, we're excited to have him be part of the Bain family and uh, thank him for being on as well. So Absolutely. Uh, thank you all so much for taking the time today and, and talking about world breakers and the human condition and sentient tanks that blow things up. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Dave. And now we bring you part three of the complete audio dramatization of Eric Flint's Islands, adapted by Tony Daniel. I am Luke of Elephonesis, the aide-de-camp and chief manservant to Calipodius Serenites, a captain in the Roman army of General Belisarius and a son of the wealthy Serenites clan of Constantinople. When he departed Constantinople for the front, Calipodius left behind a new wife. They had wed in an arranged marriage to unite two aristocratic families, one ancient and poor, the other newly risen and filthy rich. Anna spent much of her youth in the library of a convent, reading about the many changes that had come to the world when the talisman from the future had come back in time to 530 AD, bringing knowledge. She had wanted a different life, if not of adventure, then at least a life of cloistered learning. Instead, she'd been cast into the ancient role of ornamental wife, a role she despised. So Anna decided that if change wasn't coming to her, she would go and find it, even if she had to cross half a world to do so. Cool cloths over here. This man is burning with fever. Right away, doctor. And send a cleanup team to take care of this vomit. It can't be left to fester. Yes, doctor. Right away, sir. Your changes have transformed this place, girl. Again, not my changes. Things I read in a book by a very smart woman. Basic medical and sanitation practices. Anyone can apply them. But not anyone can cut through the ignorance and get it done. It doesn't hurt that we carry around some fairly brutal-looking enforcers. Not merely brutal-looking, your ladyship. True enough, Phyllis. What's this? Look what I found digging through the medicinal herbs. Let me go! Let me go, you stupid Greek demon! She can't be more than twelve and already on the way to a life of crime. I was just trying to find medicine for my poor sick mother. Besides, we heard that the wife of Calipodius was here and we wanted to catch a glimpse of her. We? Here are the others. I believe we caught them all. Red-handed, I might add. You're breaking my arm! Assassin! Killer of children! Let me go! I'm a leper! Unclean! Unclean! <laughs> you seem remarkably spry for a leper. Well, I just caught it. I believe I will take my chances. They're from the orphanage. Escapees, no doubt. See the brands on their hands and the back of the neck. Yes. But now they are assistant orderlies in my service. What? No! What is your name? What's it to you? Tell me your name or I'll have Illis twist a finger each time I have to ask again. He is very good at twisting fingers. Sunila. Well, Sunila, you and these others will be paid a drachma a week to start with. You can start now. Wearing those rags? You have a point. She'll spread infection. 
I want you four back here tomorrow. Katamanes will give you an advance on your wages and find you food and a decent place to stay tonight. I will. You will. One drachma. There's more where that came from. Tomorrow morning after sunrise. Do you hear me? I don't want to have to send Illis to find you. It won't be pretty. All right. We will come. Come on, the lot of you. I'll get your money. Then I'll take you to the market so I can make sure you do what the lady says and eat. Now get the move on! Strange are the ways of blind Calipodius's wife. Your legend is growing. What legend? Do you not know, girl? They call you the angel. I am no angel. What you are is different. You have no idea how important that can be to a man who does nothing day after day than toil under the sun. To a woman who does nothing day after day but wash clothes and carry water. And what is an angel in the end but something completely different? In this outfit? <laughs> Your dress has seen better days, lady. Stains of blood, vomit, and urine on it. If my mother could only see me now. She would be proud. You don't know my mother. Illis, we're going to make Calipodius's wife's service official. We'll start with something to set us apart. Yes, new uniforms. Uniforms? We've got dozens of people working for us now. It will cost a fortune. My husband is rich. He can afford it. Need I remind you, girl, that he is not here. You are separated from most of your wealth by a thousand miles, and my brother, myself, and Abdul don't have any to speak of. Which is why we need a banker. I'll use my husband's name as collateral. What exactly do you mean by banker? Someone who lends money. Ah, a money changer. No, no, a real banker. Someone who finances armies. And may I ask why you might need enough money to finance an army? Because that's exactly what we're going to do, Illis. I confess I have no idea what you are talking about, girl. If you were a banker in Barbaricum, where would you be? Again, no clue. At the local commander's headquarters. There I can help you. The local commander is our ally. The Emperor of Persia. Let me see. I'll need something fancy. No, I won't. <laughs> this vomit-stained dress will do perfectly. So, you are the one. Pleased to meet you, Your Majesty. Uh, the pleasure is mine. And this is my chief wife, Irina. Your Highness. To live in such days when legends walk among us. I am just a girl from Constantinople, Your Highness. Of course you are. Now come, drink, relax, then join us at the table. I have a sumptuous feast prepared tonight. Irina oversees the cooking staff. It is one of her many gifts. Excuse me, I must have better music or I'll have those players flogged. You there, pick it up. Come. Welcome to our humble abode, Anna Saronites. May you live a thousand years and walk the earth in happiness. A thousand years? Thank you, I guess. <laughs> I think we're going to get along quite well. Your Highness, that meal was truly extraordinary. Probably the most delicious meal I've ever had in my life. I'm so happy you enjoyed it. Now please, call me Irina. I hardly think... Very well, Irina. That's better. Now we are women talking to one another. Irina, what did you mean when you said legends walk among us? 
I am no legend. Pardon me, dear Anna, but Hothrau and I, we are experts on legends. Truth be told, I often think that is all kingship really is, knowing how to make legends. Interesting. Yes, but uh, keep it a secret. It wouldn't do for our noble Sardaran and Baziron to discover that their emperor is really only a common manufacturer and his wife but a carpenter's daughter. We don't need another rebellion this year. No, of course not. Ugh, I've spilled the wine on my sleeve. This dress is becoming disgusting. Oh, but it is perfect. Don't even try to remove the stain. By next week, it will be the blood of a dying man brought back to life by the touch of your hand. Ask anyone and they'll swear to it. Irina, you have given me something to think about. You have shared your secret. Now I will share mine. On the day my husband left for the war, I felt my dreams were crushed. I would be stuck at home forever. They are worse fates. Not for a woman like me. There's something inside me. I, I can't explain it. I yearn to do something. Something else. Something more. I do understand. The problem is, I don't know what it is. I'm making everything up as I go along. Welcome to the world of the free. We live our own lives here, not someone else's. Anna... I would dearly love to help you find this thing you know not what you are seeking. Do you need anything? As a matter of fact, I have been searching for a banker. <laughs> a banker? This palace is lousy with them. But I shall point you to the most trustworthy. His name is Pulinda. A Punjabi? That doesn't matter. His money spends as well as any from Persia or Rome. I ought to know. Do you think he will give me a fair rate? You are the wife of Calopodius the Blind. You are Anna Saronites of the wife's service. I think he might just give you the money for the goodwill it will bring him. <laughs> well, perhaps charge you a reasonable interest on it, at least. <laughs> <laughs> have to wear this? It's stiff. Yes, you have to wear it. Everyone in the wife service has to wear the new uniforms. Especially me. I am so happy to be out of that dress. The seamstress is here for the other orphans' fittings. You look pretty commanding in that new uniform yourself, Illith. It is. I've never owned clothes this good. And this color. Maroon. It must be horribly expensive. Again, my husband is rich. He can afford it. It is good to see you out of that tent you were carrying around and calling a dress girl. I couldn't agree more. This hospital seems to be running smoothly now. After we get the uniforms for the service here, shall we leave Barbaricum for the Upper Indus? Yes, to the Iron Triangle. But we'll make a few stops on the way. Stops? What do you mean? Every field hospital along the way. Girl, there are dozens. Perhaps every village as well. There are hundreds. Well, maybe only the larger ones. And may I ask why? I suppose I'm embracing the legend. This wife they're all talking about. 
Although I still have no true idea what it's about. As you say, girl. As you say. Well, let's have it. Hand it to Luke there. Luke, what message has she sent this time? Hmm, interesting. Don't tease a blind man. Read it. It says, Why talisman medical precepts not translated into Persian? Stop. Instruct Emperor of Persia to discipline idiots running his hospitals. Stop. Do it. Well, the Persian translation, anyway. Then find me a diplomatic way to say the rest to Kushrao. Yes, General. Sir, here comes another one from Barbarica. Read to me, Luke. Urgent. Stop. Must translate medical precepts into native tongues also. Stop. Ridiculous. Here now, send this. Cannot. Stop. Is no native written language. Stop. Not even alphabet. Stop. Okay, sir. Got it off. Read it, Luke. (laughs) What? What does it say? Sorry, sir. The telegram says, You supposedly expert grammar and rhetoric. Stop. Invent written language for them. Stop. Best get started at it, lad. She'll be coming soon. Like a tidal wave. Damnation. Why didn't she wait for a military escort? The escort is on the way. I've sent Menander on the Victrix Ironclad. He'll reach her at Sakur and bring her here. That is, if you want her. How do you feel about her now? She was some girl I had to marry. I expected I would end up with a courtesan, a mistress. Why not? She meant nothing to me, and I meant nothing to her. All we were expected to do was breed. But now you've written about her in the dispatches. She's been coming towards us for weeks. Toward me. I feel I know her better now than I did when she was standing before me, when I could see her. Damn it, though. Why didn't she wait for a military escort? When has she waited for anything? She was coming, but she wasn't in a hurry. There were villages and field hospitals all up the Indus. It was a war of over 500,000 men. There were over 100,000 casualties and the count was rising. She stopped in the hospitals, brought her train of Calipodius's wife's service men, and found that the care was getting better. General Belisarius's blood-curdling orders were having an effect. But it was in the villages where her legend truly was made. Villages where the inhabitants spoke no known tongue, some guttural polyglot handed down from the dawn of time. Even they had heard her. And when she passed by, they came. They came to behold. They came to be touched. They came to be healed. Roll your men, put your backs into it. Keep it up. Damn my eyes, there's another one, girl. Oh. They're heading toward us. What do you want us to do? What can we do? Stop. Let them pull alongside. Halt! Back it up, man. Back it up. Pull alongside. Sick! Sick! You help! You help me, boy! I can't heal this kind of sickness. I wish I could. Keep him cool and perhaps the fever will break. You understand? 
Cold. Cold water. Ellis, these villagers can't understand me. Nobody speaks their tongue. Wife! Wife, you touch. You touch, boy. But it will do no good. I'm not a saint. I'm not even a doctor. You touch, boy. Wife. Oh, very well. Curse it all to ruin. I'll touch him. There. I touched him, goddammit. Satisfied? Him better soon. Touch of wife is healing touch. Listen to me. You have to get his fever down. Cold. Keep him cold. Ugh, what's the use? I can't bear the look of agony on their faces. You helped them. Nonsense. You can't tell them that. They don't come for nothing, girl. I'm feeding their ignorance. You are giving them hope. It may make a difference. I wish I could believe in the healing touch of the wife, but I don't. I don't even know who this wife is. I don't know if my husband wants me still. I don't know if I want him. There's only one way to find out. Go to the Iron Triangle. That's where he is. Calipodius the Blind. I suppose he really is blind? Yes, completely. It was a terrible wound. He's a man I've never truly met. Now I'm a woman he's never met. What the hell did I have in mind coming here? Why am I still trying to get to him? Sometimes the answer is in what we do. It may be that what we do is the only thing that matters. Tell them to keep rowing. Row, master! Heave away, man! Put your backs into it, you lazy swine! Sorry to wake you, Captain. Telegram, sir. Quite all right, Luke. What's the telegram say? Captain Menander and the Victrix have reached them. Thank God. She and her companions are safely on board the steamship. Luke, how does this place look? It's hardly fit for Melissini, but I imagine it will do for your wife if all they say is true. Any other messages from Anna? No, just these bills. Well, whatever else, she still spends money like a Melissini. Before she's done, that banker will be the richest man in India. You have it to spare, sir. Yes. Yes, I don't begrudge her any of it either. I wonder what she'll be like. Mistress Serenites, I have been instructed by General Belisarius to see to your safety. I wish you wouldn't touch these unclean people who approach the boat. Keep wishing, Captain Menander. I am not under the command of General Belisarius, and I'll do as I think fit. Yes, ma'am. Mark one off the starboard bow. Mark one, two, three, four transport boats. What the hell? What is it, Captain? It's an ambush. That's what it is. Those are Malwa boats coming toward us? They are. It's almost inconceivable. To be here, they must have carried those boats for miles and miles over the empty desert. You need to take cover, girl. Your man is right. But what's the point of it? There's no way they could be a real threat to the legions, is there? There is not. We need to hide you away. Now, it's you they're after. They're all dead men. Why? In the name of God, she's just a woman. You wouldn't be saying that if you'd been with us the past few weeks. 
You're right, I suppose. So, where can we put her? Up there, the Pakogun turret. It's surrounded by iron except for the top. It's the safest place on the ship. Do as he says, Lady Serenites. Keep yourself safe and allow us to defend this ship. I completely agree, but I can climb up there on my own. Both of you concentrate on stopping those pirates. Ugh. 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 Mother Mary, this dress again. Ugh. Ugh. Curse it. Sir, emergency message from Amu Daria. Luke! There's been an attack on the river. Large Malwa force. Sir, it's the Victrix they're after. Anna's on that ship. Yes, sir. But how did the enemy get there? There's nothing but desert to the south. I'll tell you how. The Malwa have hauled those boats across the wasteland on a suicide mission. I was a fool not to have foreseen the possibility. Not your fault, sir. Like hell it isn't. We were all so busy being entertained by her journey that we didn't think that our enemy will have heard of her, too. Damn it. No point in sending the Justinian. By the time the ship got there, the battle would be over. As you said, the battle will soon be over. Amudaria will tell us what the outcome was. And if she's still on her way to me. So we wait. We're getting closer. Concentrate your fire on the nearest one, men. Ready? Aim? Fire! Stand firm! Halt or I'll shoot! Nonsense. Help me over the edge of this thing, will you? What the? Oh, it's you, Lady Serenides. Does everyone on this ship know I am on board? You're the reason we're here, Lady Serenides. The general sent us to fetch you. Yes. Help me in. Now step up, your ladyship. There. What is your name? Stavros, ma'am. Well, Stavros, how can I be of help? There's hardly room in this turret to move about. Not with that gown you're wearing. It's supposed to be a uniform, and besides, it's half the size of my old one. Well, yes, you could be of help, Lady Serenides. Yes? But we're outnumbered. There are maybe 200 of them in those boats. If even one of the boats grapples with us, we'll be overwhelmed. How can we stop them? That's where we come in, my lady. This is what's known as a puckle gun. Looks to be some sort of giant revolver. Ah, exactly, Lady Serenides. It's a revolving cannon. There's a box of preloaded cylinders behind you. Now, if you'd be so kind as to hand me the new one when I'm out and take away the old, that'd speed things up a bit. I can do that. All right, the cylinders get hot, ma'am. And the blowback from the gun can scorch you as well. It's a good thing I have on all this fabric then, isn't it, Stavros? I can use the hem of my dress to handle the hot cylinder. That you can, your ladyship. <sighs> do call me Anna. No, couldn't do that, your ladyship. Suppose not. Here they come. Get ready. Couple guns quite loud, your ladyship. A little closer. A little closer. Namaste, you bastards, now! I can't see. What's happening, Stavros? Got a bunch of them, and I think I blew a hole in their boat. Hand me the cylinder. Here it is, milady. It's hot. Don't be a baby. Give it to me. Here's another. Got it. Keep that hot one away from the cartridge box, milady. I'm not an idiot, Stavros. No, Lady Serenides, you most definitely are not. What do we do when we run out of preloaded cylinders? There's individual cartridges in there. I'll reload them quick as I can. Nonsense. I can do that. Just remember, pointy side down, milady. Why, you ignorant... Yes, pointy side down, Stavros. All right, here comes some more. 
I must take a quick look. Stay down, Lady Serenides. So many of them, so many. That was close, Lady Serenides. Anna, keep your fool head below the metal, will you? I take your point, Stavros. Now hand me that cylinder and let's get at them. Yes, here it is. And here's the next. Guess it's true what they say. The wife of Calipodius the Blind is different. Very different. Well, get used to it. There's about to be a lot more women like me. Okay, here comes another. What about Nahi? What about Nahi, you bastards? was part three of the complete audio dramatization of Eric Flint's Islands. Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion. Well, that's it for the podcast. Thanks, as always, to podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. Praise, thanks, and gratitude to Tony Daniel, Christopher Rocchio, David Weber, Wynn Spencer, and Lou Berger for sitting down to chat with me about World Breakers, out now on Trade Paperback. And of course, a big Thank you to Tony Daniel for letting me sit in this week. Now, Tony is actually taking a much needed vacation. He's going to an uncharted island with a very unusual name, SETI Alpha 5. Now, I don't know anything about it, but from the way he described it, it sounds like a wonderful place to be marooned. Tony is even taking along his favorite book, Moby Dick, to read. I wonder if he'll come back quoting any passages from it. We'll see next week. Until then, this is David F. Shirerod coming to you from a soundproof bunker deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars.